morning. It is about 6.30 on uh, December 12th. I don't know why I always have trouble remembering that. Remembering the date, I mean. But yeah, it is the 12th, um, I think. Pretty sure it's 6.30. It is definitely 27 degrees out here. With the wind, so that sucks. Makes it at least a few degrees lower than that. And we've still got ice from precipitation that's like a couple days old. The uh, weather for today says we're not going to get any precipitation. So I'm guessing a lot of this ice, now snow, will burn off. <sighs> nice though. It's a nice morning. I am bringing Miss Ripley with me today. She is very happy to see you. It's weird. She is nervous now about going outside. I mean, about getting on the the leash. If I, if I call her, she drags her feet. Like, no, no, no. I don't want to go out. And uh, once we get outside, she's fine. Honestly, I think she's just nervous about getting the uh, leash put on her. Only way I could get her to uh, get where I could put the leash on was for me to basically tell her, go to bed. She runs into the little crate. She's perfectly happy to do that. Because we use that, we, we don't use that as like punishment. We use that as like, we've got somebody coming over and we don't need them getting puppies jumping all over them. So, you puppies go to bed, that kind of thing. So yeah, she goes to bed, then I put the leash on her, everybody's happy, but if I just stand at the door and say, Ripley, come, she will drag her little feet and uh, with a cocker spaniel who has shown a uh, tendency to submissively urinate, you don't press your luck. So, uh, anyway, yeah, it's an odd little psychological tick for her. She likes being on the leash, but doesn't like being put on the leash. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're out now. Got about 1,300 words this morning. I hit my 1,000 and just kept on going. It's a good thing. It's one of the nice things about ride or die. It's weird, that's an option they don't have, but I think would be really useful is to turn off the fanfare when you reach your goal. I mean, I say, I'm gonna write a thousand words in 35 minutes. 
well, I can ride a thousand and thirty, but it uh, gives me a little bit of time every now and then to stop and think about what I'm saying. And uh, so, because I'm riding that fast, I get done in 35 minutes, and then I go like, well, I got the whole hour. I'll just keep on going. I mean, if I want to, I can stop, and that's cool, because for me, either an hour or a thousand words, either one I consider a victory. So, uh, yeah, I think they should have an option where it doesn't play that blaring loud fanfare as soon as you reach your goal. They play that noise as soon as you hit your word goal, and they play that noise as soon as you hit your time goal. And so I basically just mute sound on my computer because it's, you know, 5.30 a.m. and I got family who's sleeping. Didn't get much done yesterday. I was going to work on the podcast, but there's this uh, friend of a friend who's getting into writing. And... uh, she said, oh, I've, I've been writing for a long time. Now I want to write professionally. So, okay, that's cool. Um, she, uh, you know, my, my friend said, oh, I know Brand. Brand's published some books. I'll send you to him. And she said, okay, well, I've got some questions. I said, great, I'd be glad to help out any way I can. She gives me an email with, like, three pages of questions. I mean, I've had newspaper interviews that were less in-depth. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, um... So, uh... What else? Uh, oh, yeah, so I spent a lot of yesterday working my way through that list. Part of the problem was just about every question was insightful and detailed exactly the kind of thing I like to talk about as a writer. You know, she's asking, what's your method? How do you make sure that you stay motivated? Stuff like that. And I love that stuff, man. I'm thinking I might want to publish my responses on, like, a blog post or something. Because I love talking about that stuff. And I told her about the plan, this plan. How I want to write a thousand words every day. And I want to... And because I know it would be easy to miss, I do the morning walk. And in the morning walk, I have to admit how many words I did. Because I know that there's people listening and watching. We get about five people tuning into the video every day. Which still stuns me. Morning. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, 
I say that because I have to admit how I did on my daily writing in the morning walk, and because I have to do the morning walk, because I know there's people watching and listening, I am therefore honor and duty bound to get up and do the work whether I want to or not. So, you, faithful listener slash viewer, are helping keep a writer honest. You are doing your part for the literary world by tuning in and listening to him chatter. Yeah, so I felt kind of bad on some of those questions because she started asking about the uh, agency model. How or why you'd get an agent, how or why editor, how or why publisher, and I kind of went off on a rant. You know... You fight like hell and you train uh, yourself to write good query letters just so that you can entice an agent, just so they can take a percentage of your royalties. And then they have to do exactly the same thing when they're trying to entice an editor. Editors who mostly want to see, because they're part of a business, They want to see something that is as close as possible to last year's bestseller without actually literally ripping them off. And then the publishers who will give you 10 to 20% royalties while they insist that you do all of the promotion, most of the marketing, Anyway, I'm sure you guys have heard me rant that stuff before. But yeah, I kind of went off on that topic. So I felt bad about that. But yeah, that was pretty much my entire evening. After work, I just came home. We had dinner. And then uh, I sat down to write about writing. Felt kind of bad when I got to the question about what books or workshops would you recommend? Because I feel like I'm not really a good writer as far as that goes. I, I don't do workshops, and I've only found a couple of books that really stuck with me. Like Stephen King's On Writing. I mean, that's basically the Bible for the uh, fiction author. But, uh, but yeah, I couldn't think of another one. Uh, as far as workshops go, I pointed her at uh, Patrick McLean's Good Words, Right Order, which I've always found to be a really cool... Uh, Uh, workshop on finding the absolute best word 
for getting your meaning across in the shortest amount of space, smallest amount of space. Anyway, but yeah, that was it. That was all I could think of on writing and good words, right order. And I'm sure if she'd asked like Merla, excuse me, Mer Lafferty, Mer would have told her about like Clarion and stuff like that, but, but I'm a part-time writer working a full-time job separate from this, so I can't afford to do workshops. Someday, man, someday I'm going to hit critical mass. I'm going to get the uh, back catalog that I need to get the audience that I need to get the sales that I need to stay at home and be a full-time writer. Someday. Anyway, I look forward to going to workshops. I look forward to spending time talking with people about nothing but how you go about doing your writing. I saw Nathan, Nathan Lowell went to one a while back. And he sent me some of the, uh, like, homework that he did from that. And uh, it was just beautiful. I mean, he was doing some amazing work. Some of the best description I've ever seen. And uh, good plotting. Altogether different characters from his norm. It was very, very cool. And I'll admit, I was a little envious. Then again, I'm always a little envious about Nathan. So nothing new there. Morning. I expect I'm about to get in trouble on Twitter. Yesterday on CNN they told about a kid, six years old, who uh, kissed a girl on the back of the hand and at another time on the cheek. And uh, kid had uh, was labeled a sexual harasser. And... Um, put that up on Twitter saying like, man, I don't even. And uh, one of my contacts on there started making basic reasonable noise as well. We need to know 
the girl's side and all that kind of stuff. And it's true, the reporters didn't talk to the girl, but then again, the reporters aren't supposed to be talking to little kids. I mean, it messes with them. And you aren't supposed to be calling a kid a sexual predator if he doesn't know what sex is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I read the article. I read a few articles on it. So I know this kid has something of a history with this girl that he has done this more than once. But I'm also familiar as a parent with several different types of discipline that have absolutely nothing to do with I'm going to mark your permanent record with sexual harassment. When my little girl was in school, I mean, in kindergarten, first grade, that kind of thing, they had little monkeys. They had a clothesline set up and everybody had their own little clothesline peg and they'd glued onto the pegs little pictures of monkeys with everybody's name on it. Everybody started out in the fairly good category. And if you did something really amazing, you could move your monkey up to the really amazing side. And if you did something wrong, you would move it down to the bad side. And there would be consequences. in the classroom. It was for this purpose. Not specifically for kids kissing each other in school. And they define it as unwanted touch, as sexual harassment. Which makes me wonder, what is regular harassment? Touching someone without their consent is considered her sexual automatically, no matter where or what. Then what is regular harassment? Words? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be stupid. I'm really curious. It could be that they say bullying is, bullying with words and not actions is considered harassment. And sexual harassment is touching someone, which I think is a serious perversion of terms. But it could be that that's the way the rules are set up. In any case, there are levels of discipline. And when I was a kid, we had lots of them. My little girl, was in school. I didn't see as many, but none of them were as draconian as this. So, so yeah, I don't disagree with the fact that the kid did something should receive discipline for their actions. 
I just think it's maddening that you try and paint it as sexual when the child doesn't know what sex is. Anyway, I may have been a little too curt when, when someone questioned, saying, well, this might seem a little bit, wow. Okay, ah, that's why, wow. So, sorry, uh, for those of you just listening in, there was somebody who was about to miss the bus, so they were running across the street at a crosswalk. Crosswalk was at a four-way stop, and the light was green, meaning that anybody coming up on that light knows soon it will turn yellow and then red. And so the cars coming that way, one of them anyway, started gunning it so that he didn't miss the light, even as he saw a human being crossing in front of him. Did I mention I'm really judgmental? Because I really try not to be, but man, that's it's pretty freaking cold. Anyway, so, so yeah, I may have been a little bit too curt on Twitter when, when she said that listing him as sexual harassment might be a little much, a little too much. Or no, it might be a little bit much. That was it. They said it might be a little bit much. And I said, so what is too much? Lethal injection? Oh, shoot. Come on. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Almost missed the light. So, yeah, it was flip. It was pithy. And, uh, it wasn't smart. I got to cut down on the pithy... exaggeration tweets because nothing good comes of that I mean I know I was a little bit passionate about the issue but if there's anything I've learned it's that passionate argument it's the worst thing to put on the internet. I got nothing against debate. 
presenting facts, suggesting conclusions, <coughs> but when you start in on rhetoric, straw man arguments, stuff like that, then you're not part of the solution. And I'm not proud of myself for doing that. Anyway, hopefully, either she'll understand that I was being stupid or else she will come back with more questions and I'll be given an opportunity to back off, which is what I should have done. On the internet, you see a lot of professional people presenting opinions. You very rarely see them engaging other people in arguments. Took me a long time to recognize that. And I am still learning. As Grandpa Heinlein used to say, I am but an egg. Anyway, so yeah, let's see what else. We didn't get a chance to uh, watch any Breaking Bad yesterday. I only got the new Doctor Who 50th anniversary on Blu-ray and 3D Blu-ray and probably DVD as well. Came in one big package and I sort of assumed we were going to watch that. I mean, yes, we've seen it, but you know, it's a good show. I'll admit, I don't understand what's happened on uh, Doctor Who. Because I had it in my head somehow, I mean, from a long time back, that uh, Gallifrey was trapped in the last moment of the uh, war with the Daleks. And that the Doctor had trapped all of the Daleks and all of the Time Lords in that one moment that he could never let them go because both sides were equally dangerous to the universe. That was how I understood it. I don't know where I got that idea, because let's face it, there's like a million episodes, but uh, over the years, having watched it, that was what I had in my head, that they were in some alternate universe where time was moving in infinitesimally slower. I'm sorry, infinitesimally faster. So, no. 
that we are moving faster than they are, so they are not moving at all. They're not moving a lot slower. They're, never mind. They're stopped, basically, is what I'm saying. So, when they found this solution, most of the Whovians start going nuts. Oh my god, I can't believe they did that. It completely ruins the story. It completely changes the Doctor. He's a completely different character now. I don't get that. Because that's sort of what I thought was already happening. You know what I mean? I thought that was... Alright, sit. Stay. I thought that was already the deal. Stay. Ripley's a good girl. Okay. So yeah, I didn't feel the least bit upset or cheated. And I didn't turn to grief counselors and talk about how they had ruined the very message of grief or anything like that. So apparently what I found out since then is that that wasn't the case. The doctor had not trapped them in uh, a moment of time, but he had rather killed all of them. And that was the uh, shame that he had carried around. So, having been blissfully ignorant of the old situation, I was perfectly happy with the new one. This is kind of funny. You can't really, well obviously you can't see it in the audio, but right now there's about five ducks in the uh, pond that are hoping that I'll throw bread, but they can't get to me because the area in the middle with the fountain is the only place where there's any circulating water. And no, I don't mean to tease them. I just... I was just looking. Oh, this doesn't look dangerous at all. I am now crossing a bridge, which, as anyone who has ever crossed a bridge in a car knows, freezes first. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of people up in arms about the doctor and saying that this is not what he was all about, stuff like that, but I was shielded by ignorance, I guess. I was reading today that Capaldi is going to be a radically different type of doctor. And I don't just mean because he's acting and his you know, his general character will be different. I mean, they're going to change the nature of the doctor. And of course, there's people upset about that too. But man, I've given up on that. I have given up on the legacy and history of the things that I love. 
I'm not saying I don't love the things that I love. I'm just saying I no longer feel like I have to protect them from the revisionists of the day. I got my copy of Last Starfighter. I got my copy of Star Wars. I can remember it the way I want to. I remember the episodes of the Doctor that I've seen and the aspects of the Doctor as they've moved and if they should change it now I ain't worried because the Doctor that I knew the Doctors that I loved are still there because they're history The nature of history is that it fades. We can love the history, but we cannot ask it to stay that way. And uh, it's taken me a long time to get there had to rage over midichlorians. I had to shout at Clash of the Titans. I had to whine about George Clooney being Batman. But the reason I'm not worried about it is because of the Dark Knight Rises. It's because of Heath Ledger. It's because of Inception. It's because of the new Doctors. If we insist that all the things remain as they were, We'd be trying to uh, get holograms of Cesar Romero playing the Joker instead of giving people like Heath Ledger an opportunity to show us that they can do something brilliant with it. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still kind of pissed at Tim Burton. And that's mostly for the ones that didn't work. Willy Wonka as Marilyn Manson didn't work for me. But Sturgeon's Law says we have to get a lot of Tim Burton's Willy Wonka's if we're going to get any Heath Ledger's Jokers. And that seems a fair trade-off to me. So that's why I'm not worried about 
what they're doing with the doctor. They can make... I mean, there's, there's something freeing about saying that. I don't care what they do because I'm pretty sure it's going to be good anyway. Oh, hey, I just noticed uh, we got the low battery late. If uh, this goes out, I apologize, as always. I'm betting in a couple of years this thing will have a vastly better battery life. And until then, I'm just going to apologize every single day. And I'm good with that. At least days when I forget to turn off the Bluetooth, which I'm betting is why it's running out of power so soon. Anyway. The freedom. There is a freedom involved in saying you're going to let them screw up your childhood favorites. Let them try new things. If it weren't for... If it weren't for Benedict Cumberbatch, we wouldn't have Lucy Liu trying to play Watson. And I'll admit, I haven't seen her do it. I'm not actually all that interested in seeing an American version of Sherlock Holmes. But uh, that's not Lucy Liu's fault. Morning. And the very fact that we're able to take those great old ideas and apply them to new writers, directors, performers. That's how we got Benedict Cumberbatch. That's how we got Steve Carell. There, there is an excellent example. All right, short story. Ricky Gervais makes what's probably one of the funniest comedies in the last decade. He does The Office. And uh, yes, I know it's not just Ricky, but uh, he's basically seen as the driving force behind it. So they do the BBC version. And Ricky Gervais just owns David Brent. I mean, he just plays that guy so well. It's painful, and you cannot imagine anybody else doing that job. Just nobody could be that bad. And so when they announce, hey, we're going to do an American version, and you think back and you go like, wow, I remember the American version of Red Dwarf. I saw the pilot episode that you guys never released because it was horrific. You look back and you go like, I remember the uh, American version of Coupling, where they copied the, the script word for word and then changed all the idioms so that they fit an American group and they gave it to a bunch of not as seasoned actors. In short, I remember America completely screwing up those things. And I love The Office. So I'm not about to allow you to go and tarnish it with your American taint. And then they do anyway. 
and they find Steve Carell, who was, at the time, low man on the Daily Show list. I mean, he was in, like, two or three things. He was a nobody from the Daily Show. I think that was actually why he left. It's because he didn't have enough going on there. And he took that job as, uh, not as David Brent. I think he had a different name. I, for, I, I haven't watched in a long time. But, uh, but he was playing not exactly the same character. He was playing his own version of David Brent, which in itself should incense us. Martin Freeman was amazing. Ricky Gervais was amazing. These performances cannot be touched and should not be touched. And it was good. It was really good. It was amazing and it ran for years. It gave us a chance to see what these guys could do. And without them remaking this British comedy, we would not have uh, the 40-year-old virgin. 30-year-old? I forget. 30, 40. I want to say 40, but he always looked a lot younger. Anyway, um, we would not have Date Night, which, if you haven't seen it, is amazing. Steve Carell and Tina Fey and Marky Mark Wahlberg. <sighs> really great movie. And we wouldn't have had those if we didn't rip off greater, older works. So, so yeah, I've come to the painful conclusion that we absolutely have to do that. We have to allow it. Or else we won't have so many amazing things. All right, we're coming up on 42 minutes. More importantly, we're coming up on the front door. So I will talk to you guys tomorrow.